I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of LiveWire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hi, I'm Courtney Haumeister, and this is LiveWire Radio. Today's show is a bit of a departure, not just because it's a compilation, but because while the rest of the country is concentrated on our differences, this show is all about putting partisanship aside, bringing people together to create compelling new combinations. New combinations like cartoonists Linda Berry and Alison Bechdel in conversation, Mira and the Portland Cello Project, poet Scott Poole and the Oregon Poet Laureate Paul Ann Peterson in a simile off, and some great folks in combination with Faces for Radio Theater like Geek Love author Catherine Dunn, sex advice columnist Dan Savage, and Peter, Paul, and Mary's Peter Yarrow. So let's jump right into the show that's reaching across the aisle. Not, not that there's an aisle. We're, we're reaching across something. Our first combination tonight is author Catherine Dunn and Faces for Radio Theater. This was a great honor for our cast. Dunn, the author of Geek Love, was on the show to talk about her book, One Ring Circus, Dispatches from the World of Boxing. Guest writer Lauren Hoskins wrote a sketch with her and her book in mind. This is Catherine Dunn and Faces for Radio Theater in Inside the Writer's Mind. Live Wire takes you now inside the writer's mind. This week we travel inside the mind of author and pugilistic journalist Catherine Dunn. Okay, here we go. Hmm. Rats. Come on, Dunn. You see that? You see that bum right there, do you? That's an empty page, kiddo. It wants to tear your guts out. You heard me, Dunn. That blank page is sitting there, waiting to murder you. Now, this is what it's all about, scribblers. Two titans of type going toe-to-toe to spit in each other's eye. Catherine, the mad geek Dunn, and the one and only author's nightmare. The Bishop of Block, the conceptual stonewall, the blank page. Yeah, there you go. Start moving now, Dunn. Move them hands. Bit of a tiptoe here as the opponents circle each other in the writer's ring. Dunn seems unsure how to begin the chapter, and that eight and a half by 11 is showing a whole lot of nothing, Porky. Yeah, Brian, what you got here is a real struggle for the ages, right? A classic rumble that pits pen versus papyrus. Omer himself was said to sit and goggle a fresh sheet of parchment for hours at a time, Brian. Well, let's see if Don has got the push to take a poke at the first paragraph. You gotta pound that blank page, Don. You gotta punish it. It don't matter what you're throwing now. You just gotta pound it. Drop some ink on that bum. He was six beers deep and inclined to offer advice. Yeah. Oh, the muse is really starting to move now, Porky. That's right, Brian. She's banished the critic and shed the stickler. Now she can welcome the muse. That's exactly what you got to do if you want to keep them creative juices in the cup and offer your tea cozy. I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about, Porky, but Catherine Dunn has really started to lay down some letters. Blank Page ain't going to give you nothing, Dunn. Blank Page ain't never done nobody no favors. Blank Page will cut your throat with a boot razor if there was two bits in it. Don has begun to establish a solid narrative. She is positively pummeling that prose. Oh, yeah, Brian. Don't really swing in that script. That's it, Don. Go to work. You gotta hunt for it, Don. You gotta bleed. Start pitching haymakers or start kissing canvas. Wait a sec. 
And that doesn't sound right. For they that think they might that those... Uh-oh, like- yeah, oh, no. it looks like she's hooked her laces on some locution there. The blank page is really flaunting its watermark. Come on, Dunn, what are you doing? Are you spell-checking? No, the muse don't move without music, Brian. This is really not the time to proofread. You've got to have cadence to the keystroke at this point in the draft, or you might as well do the Dutch. Hey, you're here to drum the bag off of the wall, Dunn. Now play peekaboo with your spaghetti button syntax. Swift kicking the motivational trousers from the creative process and Dunn is back on her fingers. Come on, Dunn. She jabs with dialogue, metaphor, button hook, another jab. Come on, Dunn. Protagonist makes a dumb show of dramatic irony. Character conflict contrasts the counterplot. Imagery, parody, simile, hyperbole, soliloquy. Oh, Dunn is unstoppable, mad Brian, an immutable, potent voice. There you go, Dunn. That ain't no allegory. That's a Sunday school cream puff. You can see that character arc over there? It couldn't break its own nose. That's it, Dunn. Go to work. Go to work. She is absolutely obliterating the blank space. It could be all over. Damn. (laughs) Hello. Catherine Dunn, how's it going? Great. Hey, so this is Terry Meyer, editorial assistant over at Stumbler and Finch. Yeah, hoping to get an accelerated forecast on your primary deliverable date for your novel, The Cut Man, okay? Really gonna need that. A lot of stakeholders here, Catherine. If you need help finishing it, I'd be happy to help you out of a jam. Just need a firm date. So what can I put you down for, hmm? Oh, that's rich, Dunn. This guy couldn't write a list for the green grocer. Listen... Terry, is it? Yeah. The day I wind my watch for a wet-nosed copy boy with a $10 belt and a new set of loafers, that's the day I sleep through the 10 count. Oh, Dunn. Right to the breadbasket. That's got to hurt. Uh, but I... Uh, now I, tag uh, his toe for him, Dunn, and wheel him off to the morgue. Now, you run along and tell whichever uncle got you this job <laughs> that if he's worried, he can talk to my agent. But don't try this bum's rush with a Wisenheimer twit who squawks down his nose at me. I got work to do. Uh, um, okay. Katie, baby, you got a heart as big as a turnip truck. Oh, thanks. You're gonna eat grease lightning and crack thunder. That's enough of that. Okay, kid. Come on, let's go catch that chicken. This has been Inside the Writer's Mind with That was Lauren Hoskins, Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, and author Catherine Dunn in a sketch written by Lauren Hoskins. Next up on this special Great Combinations edition of Livewire Radio, it's a few people who make beautiful music, making beautiful music together. This is Portland's own Mira, with music from her 2009 album Aspera, accompanied by the Portland Cello Project. Take a listen. And we were just a child with a mess that children make. And we were running wild, no thoughts for what we'd break. And gone are all the days, gone are all the days. And once we learn to hide, our size did keep us safe. The sidewalk cracks were wide, but to jump on made us brave. But then the darkness came a-creeping over every place. Over time we took to sleep in. And let the weeds take over this place Well, how about the backyard? Sons and daughters, come on, we gotta get some work done The bones I'm told, they hold the place up So why crack them away? The rocks we shake and everything we take And still think we'll be okay And gone are all the days Gone are all the days Well, the limbs outside this house Are dignified by the forces uncontained And how will we survive when the wells run dry And not a muscle does remain 
when we rode the thunder. Steely faced, and we kicked our heels in to the belly of the chase. So becomes a garden soft and brace into a hungry hollow taste. If we keep building fires and fanning up the flames, even the waters from our eyes will never dampen down that blaze. And gone are all the days. Gone are all the days. Still, every morning's light and all the. Until it turns to night, and then the future's on its way, and the future's never gonna lay down. It won't lay down its face. Hold that shoulder strong and carry it along, and steady it with grace. That was Mira with a song from her 2009 album, Aspera, along with Portland Cello Project, and you're listening to Livewire Radio. If you're planning to be in the Portland area on November 17th, come to the Alberta Rose Theater for a show featuring Secrets of Mary Bowser author Lois Levine, How's Your News director and author Arthur Bradford, and music from Sarah Jackson Holman. More information can be found at livewireradio.org. We'll be right back. to Livewire. Next up on tonight's Can't We All Just Get Along special is one of our favorite conversational combinations. This happened in November of 2008 on our annual Wordstock show. Alison Bechtel is a graphic novelist and the author of Dykes to Watch Out For and the award-winning Fun Home. Linda Berry is the cartoonist and author who created Ernie Pook's Comique, the novel Cruddy, and prior to this visit with us, a book called What It Is, which is an instructional graphic memoir about memories and dreams and how to put them on paper. Here's Allison and Linda, followed by a visit from our show announcer and writer at the time, the very funny Tyler Hughes. Courtney, can I just say something? Yes, you may, it's Linda. It's for the, the people who aren't here. They can't see what you're wearing. And you look there's a, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, but I can do the sound of what your dress makes us feel like, and it's this. <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it helps to show the boobies. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I think we're all huge fans here, and we essentially just want to eavesdrop on a, on a conversation between you guys, but I wanted to get you guys started. Linda, your book is essentially a workbook for writers about memories and dreams and learning to play again, and the statement that, from the book that struck me the most was this one, we don't create a fantasy world to escape reality, we create it to be able to stay. And uh, Allison, you wrote a beautiful memoir called Fun Home. And I've read some of your memoir work as well, Linda, and, and I feel like 
in reading about your childhoods that you both sort of did that, and I just was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit just to start off with. Here's the thing. Um, I have started to get really, really interested in this idea of what is this thing that we call art. And I started realizing that, you know, the time when you started going crazy because you all did go crazy was about the time when art became an elective and recess um, was eliminated. And um, I started thinking that this thing that we call art um, existed long before the word art, and that I believe that it has an absolute biological function. And the function is this, and I'm just going to tell this story about phantom limb pain, um, which we hear a lot about. I believe there is phantom limb pleasure, but people don't call their doctors about it that often. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give me any pills for this. Um, uh, So... So here's what I think about art. There was this interesting study. There's this very interesting, um, smart uh, neuroscientist named Dr. Ramachandran, B.S. Ramachandran. And he's very interested in ways to deal with phantom limb pain. So you all know what phantom limb pain is. You're missing part of a a limb, but your sensation is that it's still there. And not only is it still there, it's um, in a lot of pain. And there was a study done about a guy who had um, lost the the lower part of his um, left hand. But his sensation was that the hand was not only still there, but it was clenched in a very painful fist. And his life was really deteriorating because of it. He couldn't sleep, he couldn't do all this stuff. The only drugs they could give him that would help would just knock him out. So he was in really bad shape. And Ramachandran had this very interesting idea. And his idea was to build this box. And I always think of it as a big shoe box that you're sort of looking down into. And Ramachandran put a mirror in it that sort of tilted um, and then put a hole in it on the other side. So when the guy put his fist in, when he looked down into the box, the thing that he saw were two hands, two fists, even though he only had one left. So he was put it in there, and he was looking down, and his, his visual was that it was two fists, and Ramachandran said, open your hand. So he opened that one hand. He actually saw an image of the other hand open, and it took away the pain. And that's what I think images do. That's what I think artwork does. And actually, your work, um, Allison, uh, just the idea, I mean, there, I think there are problems in life that are like that clenched fist. And the reason art, or this thing we call art, which um, exists, is because that it may be the only way to unclench this stuff. And even just the title, Dykes to Watch Out For, unclenched many fists and also caused many other ones to clench. <laughs> To this I say, well done. <laughs> Wait, Linda, when you talk about this, the phantom limb box thing, it makes me think of another part of something else you wrote about in what it is, which is that you were having some trouble like gripping your brush too tightly, and some like sumi master said, tighten your non-drawing hand while you're drawing? Yeah, what you can do actually if you're writing, well I'm really interested in handwriting in general. You know how they call this the digital age, but um, you know it's like uh, one of those Ray Bradbury stories where we're actually getting rid of our fingers in the digital age. <laughs> you know? I've lost the use of my hand, I can't write, do handwriting anymore. Well, and it's, a, it's sad because I think that these things uh, handwriting, singing, dancing, making stuff are very old tools and they were as hard to come by as our opposable thumbs. They were hard to come by. And this idea that we're abandoning them, I think it also means that we're abandoning a certain kind of um, brain activity. But um, one of the things that if you're um, handwriting, um, because we have that thing where the right brain side of the brain controls the left side of the body, it was an old calligrapher who was kind of palsied who showed me this great thing, which is when you're writing with one hand, um, if you hold a pen in the other hand, in your non-dominant hand, and put a little pressure on it, this one will relax. Or he was secretly having shots of whiskey when I wasn't looking and I believed him. Um, but, but I do think that this stuff is, um, is not, like I said, it's not an elective, it's not decoration, and I think it, it's the corollary of our uh, immune system, but it's, uh, it's for mental health. And one of the ways that I feel if I can explain this is we all know that if you, uh, t- uh, well, never mind, I don't really need to explain it, you all know. <laughs> I just want to say that uh, what it is really kicked my butt lately. I've been really... I mean, I'm writing another graphic memoir, but I'm not really drawing. I'm, I'm working in 
illustrator on the computer, computer. on this drawing program. And it's a wonderful thing. It gives me all this flexibility. I can move text around on the page and, you know, design panel sequences and stuff. But I'm not actually holding a pen or drawing anything. Uh, and the problem, too, is it has a delete button. Oh, my which God, if, if, delete if I had that on my life, I'd only have, like, 27 minutes. <laughs> no. And, it, and, the, and so that thing, the happy accident, which we've always relied on since we were kids, um, gets eliminated with a computer. I think there is a place for a computer. But if, I think that people still have this vestigial, um, even people who feel like, I can't draw and I can't write and I can't sing and I can't do this. This is something that should only be left to professionals, like Jessica Simpson. Um, but I think there are places where it stays. And one of the things I always say is we still do sculpture, but the only sculpture that for most of us that's left is slowly peeling the label of a beer bottle while somebody tells us their dream that they had. <laughs> but, but that's an example. That's an example of being able to stay, right? Because the worst feeling you get in your life is if somebody says, hey, I had this crazy dream, and then you just think, okay, I need to make a sculpture like right now. <laughs> I, was, I was really surprised to learn that you were tortured for 30 years of drawing Ernie Pook. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I think people don't know, and, and you, you certainly, I would imagine you know this, anybody who does this, I thought that when you're a real artist, um, you know, and they put the Geiger counter next to you, and, you know, you're one, and you should get paid somehow, um, I thought that, that you never had any trouble and that, it, that the wheels didn't fall off, so I always kind of felt like I, I wasn't a real artist. But I, uh, I finally figured out that, you know how you're in your dancing and you're out with your friends and I'm dancing and I'm having a really good time and I'm dancing and then you get out you fall out of the groove and so you have to fake dance for a while you know that fake dancing that you do you fake dance and then you get back in the groove and all of a sudden in your head you go hey I'm in the groove and then you fall out of the groove again you know it's sort of like trying to fall asleep oh I'm finally asleep and then you wake up um I didn't know that was going on all over the dance floor and that um what was messing me up was this idea that um, the only two questions I ended up having about my work was, is this good or does this suck? Those were the only two questions I had about it. And uh, there was something about um, hitting the wall and realizing that I, uh, well, it was when I was trying to write the book with a computer, and I realized I was walking around my studio saying this, okay, okay, if I were doing it, how would I do it? <laughs> <laughs> do you get that? Yes, yes. I mean, I... I have been tortured for... I, as soon as I realized I was actually getting paid to do the thing I loved, it became a, a torture process. Yeah. Um, just miserable. Yeah. It's, but somehow I imagined that everyone else was still having fun. Yes, well, that's, yes, that's, the, that's the assumption that uh, people know how, other people know how to do it. And it's so much worse because what could be a more fun job than being a cartoonist? So what is my problem, you know? Well, being a cartoonist, well, you actually are, you draw beautifully. And I have to say that for me, if I tell kids I'm a cartoonist and they say draw something, they're always really happy. And then if I tell people in my community, I live on a farm in Wisconsin, that I'm a cartoonist and they say, oh, will you draw something for me? And then I do. And then there's this quiet moment where they're just like, you follow that dream. Allison, you really struggle over your drawings, right? I well, mean, I do, I do. We have like totally opposite processes. Exactly. I draw opposite. sketch after sketch after sketch. But I still think sketch. you're really cute. <laughs> <laughs> and you just draw stuff right out of your hand, yeah. right out of your brain, down your arm and out your fingers. And that's uh, why people say, follow that dream. <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful. It is beautiful. It is. <laughs> No, but seriously, that um, the and I don't know what what it is, but but when uh, I have to talk about uh, fun home too, can I just talk about it inky yeah, binky right. bit? Um, for uh, another uh, big hand that you unclenched for so many people in that book, there's like lots of amazing stuff for those um, people who grew up with a parent who was in um, who was in the closet. 
which I had never ever seen it, that done. Um, I feel like you unclenched a giant fist for a lot of people, and I hope that that it gave you that feeling too when you drew it. I had it. no idea how many people there were in that situation. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> All of you with a gay parent, please raise your hand. <laughs> so, yeah. So we have three uh, hours left? Is that what you're saying? Uh-oh. Now what are we going to do? Um, I don't know. I, I have a question. <laughs> Hi, it's me, Courtney. I'm sitting back here. That's my sound effect. Um, so I've actually read that in terms of brain activity, there's no real difference between a dream or an imagined scene or, or having an actual experience. And, and I wonder, uh, when you, you guys are creating these stories and you're not only creating, you know, you're not only writing the stories, but you're creating them visually. And in some way, does that sort of become a part of your own experience? I think absolutely so. Because if you think, is a, is a dream autobiography or fiction? I don't know. That's like that, you know, when you're eating sushi and you have to have the ginger and suddenly you're, you know, it clears your palate. That question kind of clears my mind the same way. Um, is it autobiography or fiction? But one of those things that fiction, memory, and dreams all have in common is they all have a, a, a place you are in space. Uh, I don't mean outer space. I mean like here I am in this room. There's lighting. There's all kinds of balance issues. Um, all the things that, uh, in fact, one of the brain studies they've just done is showing that um, the way we remember our past, when you know how they do that thing where they can hook up stuff to your brain, which they say your brain lights up. I wish it did. I tried. It doesn't really light up. They just, uh, it just measures uh, brain uh, blood flow. They found that the brain looks identical when you're remembering something and when you're planning something for the future. So, but I think, again, that has to do with imagining yourself in a place. Do you think? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> She's just going to agree with, with anything that you say. Well, I think I just am going to take this time, because we're on stage right now, to tell Allison that she kicks ass beyond the valley of all ass. Oh, Linda. <laughs> you, you've done... You've done so much for so many people, and I, uh, I really appreciate it on behalf of all the ladies like me. <laughs> <laughs> You're the most generous person I've ever met. I am. I can't even... I can't even... <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Linda Berry and Allison Beckham. Um, uh, Linda doesn't know this, but um, I've been a fan of hers for uh, a really long time. In fact, <laughs> she's the only person that I ever wrote a fan letter to, um, and she wrote me back. Um, this, uh, this is a postcard that I got to Courtney Love Peace right on from Marlis. And um, <laughs> it's just, it, 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 actually my cat's name is, is Maybone, and I did have one question. I think she's been angry with me because I've been mispronouncing it for 15 years. Is it Maybone? You say it just right. Oh, excellent. Good. So she's mad at me for something else. Um, <laughs> in any case, so I wrote you a postcard, and, um, and, and you wrote me back. Tyler Hughes, who's a member of Faces for Radio, also wrote you a letter, but uh, he, didn't, he didn't get anything back. And Did you want to read that, Tyler? You know, I, I know we talked about it, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's not something I'm really proud of, and uh, I was kind of immature. I didn't, really no, no, get, no. Just, I didn't really get it back then. Like, just read it. Just read it. Really? All right. <clears throat> um, Dear Linda Berry, Ernie Pook's comic is lame. The super team of Marlis, Maybone, and Freddy are the weeniest superheroes ever. And there are way too many words. You're worse than Chris Claremont sometimes. And there's not enough super battles, and nobody has any powers. We all know that mutants usually get their powers at puberty when they're angry, and your freckly people seem like they're in puberty and they're angry a lot. So get with it and let's see some powers already. Are those freckles on everyone's faces part of their powers? <laughs> if so, they should blast lasers out of them or have tentacles shoot out or something. If they're not mutants, then they should have an accident with some radioactive stuff or get bit by something nuclear or something. 
And where am I supposed to reorder some new sea monkeys to replace my ones that died? Good comics have ads for sea monkeys and Twinkies and Ding Dongs on every other page. Duh. Your comic is for girls, and it, and it doesn't come out often enough. Write me back. Love, Tyler, age 19. I just wasn't sure if maybe you'd want to respond to him in person as a Tyler, that had to have gotten lost in the mail. Right. Because that, that actually made me feel very humpy while you were reading it. I felt like I had this crazy feeling of, even though you were only 19, just mutants. And the word mutants and freckles and powers made me just, I would definitely have answered that. And I, and I would have written to you about menopause. That probably would have messed me up. Thanks, Tyler. I just, I want to say one more thing, and I know we're on the radio, but about menopause. (laughs) Really quick, I just want to say this is the face of menopause, and this is the ass of menopause. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Linda Berry. That was graphic novelists Linda Berry and Allison Bechdel on Livewire Radio. Next up, we have a literary smackdown. We were honored to have Oregon's Poet Laureate Paul Ann Peterson on our show last year, and we thought that since we had a Poet Laureate of our own, Scott Poole, why not have a simile off to see who could out-laureate who? Here's how that went down. We've given each of our poets five different photos, and since this is radio, it's up to them to provide the perfect simile to capture the essence of the photograph for our listeners. I will be grading the simile off with a complex numerical system that only I understand. So please welcome Scott Poole to the stage. So you guys ready for the simile off, the simile battle? Did did you do any, any sort of exercising to prepare? I went into my bathroom mirror and I went, oh my God, this is the Oregon Poet Laureate. Panic is exercise. Um, All right. Are we ready? So the first photo that I sent you, photo number one, a chestnut tree in Old Lyme, Connecticut. Paul-Ann, you may go first. The spreading chestnut tree flings its bronze limbs out wide like a many-armed Shiva dancing his leaf-flamed fingers toward the heavens, dancing this world alive. Uh Scott Poole, your retort. A chestnut tree stands in Old Lyme, Connecticut, like a post-wedding groom attacked by birds, thrown bird seats sticking to his sweaty man perm. Wow. Okay. Uh, Paul Ann, uh, you got 18 points for using. Paul Ann got 18 points for using the word spreading, which I enjoy. Plus three for Sheba, and then plus five for Reflamed. So that's, uh, that's eight, ooh, 26. And then I gave Scott uh, 35 for Sweaty Mampern. <laughs> uh, all right. Photo number two. A young boy's feet clad in rain boots shaped like dragon heads. Boy wearing green dragon rain boots, your feet walk this world like identical twin reptilian monsters, a pair of smiling beasts ready to push their snag-tooth grins through deep moats on their way to lay siege to the castle. (laughs) 
The boy stands in dragon boots like you stood in the two halves of my heart, ripped from my chest and announced, Now we have rubbers! I don't even need to finish it. Do I detect a theme here? <laughs> uh, so, uh, Pauline, uh, I enjoyed uh, the use of the word reptilian and uh, imagining myself in the siege on the castle. So uh, you got uh, 26 points from that round. Scott, um, you unfortunately got negative 12 points for using the word rubbers on public radio. <laughs> Okay? All right, we have one more that we're going to do. The Flatiron Building in New York City. Flatiron Building, you lift yourself into the New York sky like a Titan's iPhone, snug in its cradle and charging. Each, each of your inset windows and apps ready for the touch of a god's finger. Scott Poole. The Flatiron Building stands like the world's largest stack of giant corn chips. That is, if you could live and work inside corn chips. <laughs> Yummy. Oh my God! Um, Scott, you got 25 points for the concept because I want to work inside corn chips. Um, uh, I'm gonna just take off one point because there wasn't any onion dip. Um, <laughs> uh, so you have a total of 47 points and uh, Paul Ann just the concept of a titan holding an iPhone, Windows as apps um, I'm going to go with 18 points for that one um, that puts Scott Poole at 47 and Paul Ann Peterson at 70 points our winner is Paul Ann Peterson the poet laureate of Oregon thank you That was Oregon Poet Laureate Paul Ann Peterson and Livewire House Poet Scott Poole. Next on this special combination compilation is nationally syndicated sex advice columnist Dan Savage, who agreed to field some questions from our comedy troupe. Let's see how that went. So, Dan, it's not often that uh, Livewire gets the chance to have the nation's preeminent sex and relationship columnist at our disposal. So we were hoping that before you and I sat down to chat, our staff might ask you a few questions. Well, I guess that would be fine. Sure. Great. Okay, who has a question for Dan? I do. Yes, Tricia, is it? (laughs) Yes, Tricia. I'm a huge fan. Huge. Well, thanks. Yeah. So my husband likes to dress as a pirate when we, um, you know... Do it. And I was just wondering, could I get scurvy? Well, I mean, I guess you could if you were having sex on a 19th century clipper ship and you were getting way too much salt in your diet, salted meat, salt water, old salts. Oh, no, no, I'm a vegetarian. Then you should be fine. Oh, thanks. I got a quick question. Go ahead. Uh, I'm Sean. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Anyway, you just mentioned sex. Uh, what's that all about? How do you mean? I mean, what I'm guessing I'm saying is, uh, what's involved per se? I know I heard some guys talking about it at camp once, and I have to say it sounds pretty ridiculous. <laughs> well, I guess we all look ridiculous doing it. 
Wait, are you saying that you've never had sex? No, no. What? No, you're crazy. God, talk about ridiculous. You, sir, are a riot. Uh, that's about the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Of course I've had the sex. <laughs> really, Sean? Yes, really, Tyler. Well, how did you do it then? Okay, let me think. I, um, it happened pretty fast. Of course there was an attractive female girl there. A female girl. <laughs> yes, um, a female. Those mixed-gender marriages never work out, but I respect your choice. Thank you, sir. Uh, anyway, we started along with the foreclosure, of course. Uh, Sean, you mean, you mean foreplay? Whatever. Foreplay, right. That was awesome. Really? So what part of the foreplay was your favorite part? Oh, dandy. Tough call. Uh, probably when we slid that tea kettle thing on the ice with our brooms... Sean, I don't think that was foreplay. That sounds more like curling. Curling? Yeah, it's a sporting event in the Winter Olympics. Oh. Well, then I guess I haven't had sex. No. No curlers have ever had sex. Wait a minute. Can, can you get pregnant from curling? No. Not that I am aware of. Oh, man, I knew it! Mame, I don't think that's my baby. Don't you dare try to weasel out of child support. But we never had the sex. Yes, yes, we did. Remember, remember after the curling, Sean? When you taught me to knit? Uh, that wasn't knitting. That was sex. Are you kidding me? No, that was, that was hot, unbridled sex. Oh, well, I did get a sweater out of it. <laughs> Will I always get a sweater? Uh, no, no. Sometimes sex results in mittens or even felted purses. This means that class I took in seventh grade was a cauldron of lies. Yes, yeah. Uh, Mr. Savage, uh, I, I have a question. Yeah, Tyler, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a furry, and uh, I like to wear a beaver costume in the uh, boudoir. That's fine. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Oh, <laughs> that's not it. It's just that my wife, my wife graduated from the University of Oregon, and yeah, she, she claims I'm being passive-aggressive, and... Most nights, she just locks me out. Could you be another type of animal? I don't know. I guess anything in the rodent family. Maybe a woodchuck or... Ooh, a nutria might be nice. <laughs> I know a guy who used to be an alf who makes really great PETA-approved nutria costumes from his prison cell. I could hook you up. Oh, that is sweet. Thank you. Okay, uh, looks like we have time for one more question. Ralph, you had one, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Well, this, this one actually goes back to Sean's initial question. Uh, so here's the deal. My wife and I have been married for about six months now, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have sex pretty soon. So can I get just a quick overview of what's involved? Well, when a man and a woman, or a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, or a man and a woman and a man and a woman and a man... Okay! You know what? I think that's all the time we have for Ask Dan tonight. Thank you for your insight. You're listening to Live Wire Radio, and that was advice columnist Dan Savage, helping out Faces for Radio Theater as best he could. We'll be right back. Welcome back to LiveWire. This is a special compilation show about bringing people together. And speaking of that, we'd like to send our best out to all of our listeners on the East Coast who were affected by Hurricane Sandy. We hope you're safe and that you found a warm, dry place to land. Our next combination finally reunites a boy and his long-lost dragon. 
We had Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary on the show a couple years ago. He had just collaborated on a new book and CD of Puff the Magic Dragon with his daughter. And if you have the singer of Puff the Magic Dragon on your show, it just seems crazy not to check in with Puff and Jackie Paper to see, you know, what's been going on all throughout those years. So let's see what, let's see what happened there. <laughs> well, we're so appreciative of your stopping by that we've got a little surprise for you. All the way from Hanalei, Hawaii, Puff the Magic Dragon is here. Oh. Welcome to the show, Puff. Uh, yeah, hey, how's it going? Hey. Hey, is that you, Puff? Yeah, ma'am. Wow. It's so, great to see you. It's good to see you, Peter. Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually go by Puff Daddy now or Puffy D, you know, something. Okay, good to know. So what have you been up to all this time? Ugh, not a lot. Um, after Jackie left, I just got really depressed. I gained a bunch of weight. I was eating just pirates all the time. That is, that's not good. That's not good for you. No. I was dating this Komodo dragon from Maui. She broke up with me because she said I wasn't enough dragon for her or whatever that Oh, means. that's harsh. That's harsh. Yeah, that and then I hooked up with this gang of velociraptors who were shooting Jurassic Park. Man, those guys are up to no good. You know, uh, those sound like really dark years. I'm, yeah. I'm really sorry that you went through yeah. that. Yeah, but, but Puff, didn't you find other kids to play with after Jackie left? I mean, Sure, a few of them, but you know, none of them were like Jackie. None of them brought me any strings or sealing wax or, or stuff to set on fire or anything, really. None of them wanted even to frolic. I mean, come on, what's happened to good old-fashioned frolicking, people? Oh, hey, times change, Puff. And frolicking has been replaced by we. Oh, yeah. Man. Oh, but I think they do have a really good frolicking add-on, though. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll check that out if I can find it. Well, Puff... We have a surprise for you that I think just might cheer you up. Ugh. All the way from Detroit, Michigan, where he's been working as an assistant manager at Staples, Jackie Paper. Oh my, oh my God. What? Hey, everybody. Hey, Puff. It's Puffy D now, man. Come on. Uh, okay. Not that you would ever know. Uh, okay, Puffy. So, Peter, what's it like to see Jackie again? To see Jackie. Wow, it's great. Last time I saw you... You were just a little kid. I know, and now I have kids of my own. You have kids? I sure do, Puff. E-D. I got pictures. See, Sarah's 12, Michael's 8, and little Kate is 4. Oh, this is rich. What's the problem? Well, first you drop me like a hot potato. No more sitting on my tail or boat rides or playing with pirates. And then you don't even introduce me to your kids. I grew up, Puff. I knew that. No, you didn't. I had to go to school, and my homework wasn't a toy. If you think the dog ate my homework is hard to believe, try my dragon, lit it on fire. It never worked. But at least it was funny. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't funny when I tried to take you to band camp. You melted my oboe. That oboe wasn't getting you any chicks, dude. Come on. Oh, and you were. Um, Guys, you know what? I actually, I think we should all calm down. Just let bygones be bygones. No, no, let's talk about this. You remember that disastrous date I tried to take you on with Melanie Messino? That, that was not my fault. You singed your eyebrows off. I was coughing. The soda went down the wrong pipe. Come on, dude. It doesn't matter why it happened. I never should have brought a dragon on a date in the first place. Whatever. Wow. Um, this is awkward. Peter, you know what? Um, you have some training in psychology. Is there anything you can say to help these guys? Well, you know, it seems to me that Puff's just hurt that Jackie didn't keep in touch. Isn't it right, Puff? Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's not like I don't even have email. I got a 14K modem and AOL 1.2 in my cave. Right. And, 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 and Puff, maybe you need to recognize that there were reasons that Jackie had to let you go. I guess... I was a little, uh, cumbersome. A little, yes. Jackie, on your part, maybe you could, I don't know, maybe you could introduce Puff to your kids now that he understands a little better what not to do. That'd be great, actually. You know, I told them all about you. They don't believe I knew you, though. I'm pretty awesomely famous. (laughs) True that. Word. (laughs) Wow, I, I really feel like we made a difference here on Livewire tonight. We'd like to thank our fabulous guests, Puff 
CD, Jackie Paper, and the fantastic Peter Yero for joining us. Thanks for bringing it back together, Peter. That was Peter Yero of Peter, Paul, and Mary, along with Faces for Radio Theater. If you'd like to hear a version of Puff the Magic Dragon from our show with Peter Stormlarge and Death Cab for Cuties, Chris Walla, just visit LiveWireRadio.org and stream show 58. This show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, reminding you that fall is local harvest season in the Northwest. If you're an Apple fan, you can find golden delicious apples from Washington's Wenatchee Valley and Pink Ladies and Gravensteins from Oregon. Not to be confused with Frankensteins from Oregon, which are not apples, but reanimated dead guys who suffer from pyrophobia, also known as the fear of fire. Whole Foods Market. Feed your brain at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Our next guest is another legend in his genre of choice. In May of 2007, we had Chuck Barris on the show. He's the creator of the Newlywed Game and the Dating Game and the Gong Show. And since some people see him as the grandfather of reality shows, we decided that we would pitch some of our own great reality show ideas to Chuck. And as he might have done on his own show, he would either approve of those ideas or gong them. We know that you don't want to hop back into TV, but um, the thing is, we've got some great reality TV ideas, and we wanted to run them by you. And okay. so you're going to have the opportunity to either approve of the idea once you hear it, or gong it. Okay. Um, and Pat, Pat will be like your hand right. for the gonging. So That's right. are you in? Yeah, I'm in. Okay. It's the reality TV gong show. Wow. Okay, everybody, ideas go. DMV Vendetta. <laughs> Contestants must take a number, navigate the lines, apply for and receive a Class C driver's license within a strict time limit of seven days. <laughs> all right, all right, Chuck, I've got it, I've got it. American My Doll. <laughs> a monthly reality show where you get 12 women on the same cycle. You- you lock them up with an outspoken misogynist. <laughs> Woo! Thank you. Yeah. If they kill the man, they win. <laughs> All right, Chuck, I got it. I got it. It's a puppy-kitty cage match. This would finally put an end to the battle over which is better, cats or dogs. You just put a cat and a dog in one of those little animal carriers, and whichever animal emerges alive... <laughs> That's all right. Chuck, you're going to love this. Haiku hell. Live wire audience members are strapped to their seats and forced to write haikus without counting syllables on their fingers. Those violating the 575... Okay, this one's called Daily Me. Jon Stewart is forced to live in a house with me and pretend to be my boyfriend. All right, Chuck. Chuck, bear, bear with me, because this one's a winner. The newlywed gay. Same-sex couples test out their new state-sanctioned domestic partnerships with crazy stunts like receiving the same tax breaks as married couples, visiting their spouse in the hospital, or attempting to get a hotel room together from a guy named Bubba with an Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve bumper sticker on his truck. All right, all right, Chuck, I'm back. I'm back. All right, here it is. Man-woman cage match. This would finally resolve the debate over whether women or men are smarter. You put a man and a woman inside one of those pet carriers, and whichever one knows... We've got one more, right, Tyler? I, I got one. Uh, I don't have a name for it yet, but uh, picture this. The ladies of The View are sealed inside a soundproof booth. That's it. Great. That's all I got. shows out of that. Thank you so much, Chuck Ferris. Well, that was fun, but there was one more great Chuck Barris collaboration that we really loved. Some people don't know that as well as being a producer and an author, Chuck Barris is also a songwriter. 
Uh, he wrote the song Palisades Park in 1962. It hit number three on the Billboard charts. And we had him on the same night as the Minus Five with Scott McCoy and Peter Buck. And this happened. Last night I took a walk in the dark. See what I could see. That's where the farms are. I took a ride on a shooty shoot. Girl, I sat next to was awful cute. And when I stopped, she was holding hands with me. My heart was flying up like a rocket ship. live in the theater house poet scott Poole sits in our audience and composes a poem about everything he's learned from the show and this time we played by the same rules we brought scott into the studio we had him listen in real time and write the poem you're about to hear so here live from the live wire basement is scott Poole, accompanied by jim brunberg on various noises what i learned in this special edition of live wire by scott Poole. Rocky was successful because he could focus. Maybe if you have only one big throbbing brain cell, it helps with focus. Maybe that's why you gotta have a grizzled corner coach telling you everything, even how to punch. If Rocky had been running around with a cello and a typewriter wearing a big sparkly dress and reams of paper and a backpack full of pencils, he probably would have had a hard time getting Burgess Meredith to take him seriously, and he would have never got his title shot, especially if he was complaining about phantom limb pain all the time, and that he always wanted to be punching with the phantom limb and not his real limbs, and you might want to argue that if Rocky felt he had had a thousand phantom punching arms extending from his steroidal torso of pure focus, that he would be some sort of inspired bodhisattva and that by extension his two lonely fists asleep in their red vinyl wraparound diner booth gloves would project the thousand fists of power he would need making him a good boxer despite all odds and acceptable reason. But I think that's crap. He'd still be all over the map. Someone with all those interests can't be a prize fighter. Yo, Adrian! You, you bring my cello over here? That was Scott Poole and Jim Brunberg, and that closes out this special edition of Livewire Radio. We hope that these interesting collaborations might inspire some across-the-aisle collaborations in D.C. Who are we kidding? Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Burgerville. 
Additional funding is provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Cultural Trust, and listeners like you find people. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater this show featured Maine Pelletier, John Paul McClellan, Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, and Trisha Ferguson. Writers this show were Courtney Hommeister, Sean McGrath, Tyler Hughes, Ralph Huntley, Lauren Hoskins, and Scott Poole. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org or find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.